we are in a series that's called Altered. We are going to be in John chapter 11 today. So if you have a Bible, you can go to John chapter 11. Uh, we're continuing in Altered really briefly, basically looking at, at passages where Jesus uh, encountered other people and their life was altered or changed because of this interaction that they had with Jesus. All right. That's the gist of everything we've been going through, uh, and I want to just kind of jump in this morning. So before we do that, can, can we just stand to our feet uh, across this place? I want to open us in a word of prayer uh, and just pray that God would just speak to us during this time. Uh, so would you just join me uh, as we do that? God, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from your word. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear what it is that you have for us today. God, some of us may have ideas of what this day was going to look like or what this week was going to look like. God, right now, I, I, we just give you permission to come in to our lives right now and just begin to reorder, shift things around, blow things up and say, this is what I have for you. God, I, we would so much rather be in a place that feels a little bit chaotic and a little bit out of control, but know that you are the one, you are the hand that is guiding it than trying to plan everything ourselves. So God, we just ask that in your name this morning. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So the story we're going to look at today, it covers uh, basically all of chapter 11. All right, this is the story of Lazarus. And I'm not going to read all of it because that's just a lot to read. All right, but we will look at different spots. I'm going to read portions of it, summarize other portions of it. Uh, and I'm just excited for, I think, what God's going to speak to us through this today. So as we are going through our passage, though, I want us to look at this passage with a specific lens. Okay, sometimes that can be a bad thing, but I think sometimes we approach Scripture the exact same way every time. And we read a story, and we've heard it once, and we get to that story again, and we're like, oh yeah, I know this story. Yep, I, I know what this is. And we just, it, what it does is it makes the Bible flat. Like, every time we go, it's going to be the same thing. And yet, so many of us, we would say that the Bible is a living word. That this is, and more than just the fact that, that Christ was the word, but, but the fact that the Bible still speaks to us every single day. So I want us to have a lens today that's going to allow us to see something new. Uh, and, and, and a perspective that's going to change, change the way we see this. Alright, so as I read parts of the story uh, and summarize others, I, I want us to look at it through the lens uh, of Mary and Martha. Alright, that's Lazarus' sisters, as we're going to get into here. And, and I want us to kind of lean into this story. I want us to feel the raw emotion that would be happening in this story. I want you to put yourselves in their shoes and think, how would I respond what would I be thinking? What would I be feeling? All right, and not just like the good Christian answer of like, I would trust Jesus. All right, like I just, I don't think that's where most of us fall. All right, it's like you read the story of the Good Samaritan. You're like, I'm the Good Samaritan every time. And it's like, man, the more I have read that story, the more I'm like, I am never the Good Samaritan. That is not me. I need to change who I am. And, and so this morning, I want us I want us to let ourselves have a little bit of this raw emotion as we go through this, all right? So we, we start in chapter 11 with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we've heard their names before in Scripture. 
Mary and Martha have the story where Jesus visits them, uh, and Martha is busy cooking a meal. Mary is sitting with Jesus, listening to his teaching, and Martha gets mad. She wants Jesus to tell Mary uh, to come and help her, all these different things. Jesus says, actually, you know what? Mary is doing fine, and what she has chosen is actually the better choice. All right, so this is the same people that we've seen before. This family, they seem to be close with Jesus. Uh, based on some things surrounding our passage today, they may have been disciples of Jesus. I remember that there, there was more than just the 12 like close disciples. All right, there, there was tons of people that followed Jesus. There was his inner circle of 12, but then there was a lot of other people. Uh, they may have been disciples. They may have uh, financially supported Jesus' ministry. All right, we know that, that Jesus and the disciples, that they were financially supported by other people. Uh, we know that they had a close relationship, though. We see this in, in verse 1 through 3. They, the, the sisters, Lazarus, get sick, their brother. And Mary and Martha, they send a message to Jesus about this. And they tell Jesus, hey, your friend is sick. They don't even say who it is. The friend that you love, your friend is sick. So they're close enough that Jesus would know who this is when it's coming from them. And as we read this, I, I, I want us to just allow us to, to be in this spot. All right, think right now to a moment where you've had someone in your life who has gotten sick, a close friend, a family member, something like this. And depending on the situation, I think it can be a little scary. I, and I'm not just talking like someone got a cold or something, but you know, someone really is dealing with, with, with sickness, disease, and you're struggling, and you're like, what? God I, God, I need you. I need you. And so Lazarus gets sick, but lucky for them, they are friends with Jesus. And Jesus heals people all the time. It's like it's his day job or something, because it kind of is. And, and lucky for them, they are close with him. Like, our brother's sick. That's fine. We know Jesus. So they send out for the only real hope that they can have in this situation. This is, you know, before doctors and hospitals. If you got really sick, you just basically were hoping they would pull through. All right? And we see later that when they send the messenger out to find Jesus, at this point, Lazarus is on the doorstep of death. All right? That's, that's how serious this is at this point. Uh, they have a pretty hopeless situation. All right, so put yourself there. Your brother is dying, and you send for his friend, your friend, Jesus. Jesus, who heals people. You normally wouldn't have hope, but you have Jesus. And you send off the messenger, and you are waiting and waiting. And the messenger finds Jesus. Verse 4, it says, But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I remember Mary and Martha are waiting desperately. I can imagine them seeing the state of their brother, and they're like, we got to send somebody. We've got to send somebody, one of, someone we know, one of our friends, who's the fastest we got to send them. And, and they're probably sitting there. This person takes off. And, and if it were me, I'd be sitting there and I'd be watching them until they disappear on the horizon when I can't see them anymore because you're just sitting there watching and hoping as this person leaves. And the messenger gets to Jesus and Jesus almost seems like he doesn't care. He just, he stays there where he is. Why would he do that? 
So in the midst of waiting for Jesus to come, Lazarus dies. Mary and Martha had this hope in Jesus. He'd healed so many people. They had seen him heal people. They had heard of him heal people before. And I can just think of like this hope that they have. They're like, it's okay, it's okay. We know Jesus. And all of a sudden, Lazarus dies. Can you imagine what, what thoughts would be going through your head in that moment? Why? Seven chapters earlier, Jesus didn't even have to show up. Someone comes and says, hey, someone's sick, I need you. And Jesus doesn't even go. He just says, they're healed. And they're healed. Jesus didn't have to come for Lazarus to be healed. He just had to say the word. So why didn't it happen here? I think the questions surrounding healing and miracles um, are, are, are some of the hardest questions that we face. Right? Like, so why does God heal this person and not this one? Why did this person get better and this person didn't? Why did this person die and this person lived? Have you ever been there? Have you ever asked this question? I think this is almost every single Christian, and I, I, I think even outside of Christianity, people struggle with this. You know, it's one of the biggest questions. Why, why do bad things happen to good people? Why did this person get cancer? Why did this person die? Why did this person get in a car accident? And I want us to lean into that question today. If that's been you, like think about those times where you've had someone and you've asked this question. Think about the emotions surrounding those moments for you. All right, just this year, we were praying for Anita Steffen. She was a manager at Coburn's here in town and, and she attended our church. And we were praying for her for a long time. She was a reoccurring name on our prayer list. And we prayed and we prayed and she prayed. And she died. And you're like, why? Like, God, why? Like, in, in one of these moments, she's influential in our town. Everyone, everyone knows her story. She works at Coburn's. Could you imagine how amazing it would be if she were healed, if cancer were gone, and, and what could happen for the kingdom of God in that moment? Stephanie Anderson, part of our church, we were praying for her, praying for her, praying for her. And she died. And here's some of Jesus' best friends asking these same questions. I want to jump down and skip over some of these verses. Essentially what happens, you have Jesus deciding to go after two days to see Lazarus. And his disciples start freaking out because essentially they are going to be heading back towards Jerusalem. Just outside of Jerusalem. Every time Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he gets in trouble. Alright, every time he goes, he is just about arrested, just about killed. And actually just right before this in chapter 10, he is kind of running for his life. They want to stone him, they want to kill him. And he leaves Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, why are we going back there? And Jesus even tells them, Lazarus is dead. They're like, okay, if he's dead, why are we going back there? Why are we risking your life, our life, to go back? And, what, and, and in this, you're just like, okay, I, I understand why the disciples are confused. This doesn't really make sense. If he's already dead, why, why are we risking our lives? But Jesus and his disciples, they go, they reach Bethany, and we're told that Lazarus has been dead for four days. All right, so here's the thing. When you look at the timeline of this, it's a little goofy. Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha send someone to find Jesus. 
based on where Bethany is, which is where Lazarus is, and based on where Jesus and his disciples are, it's at least about a one-day journey. All right? So you have one day out. Jesus stays for two days where he is. And you have one day back. All right, those of us that were good at math, four. We get back. We find out that how long has Lazarus been dead? Four days. Essentially what happened is this messenger took off and Lazarus died. When the messenger gets to Jesus and says, Lazarus is sick, you need to come, you need to heal him. When he's saying those words, Lazarus is already dead. And yet again, Jesus stays for two days. So if, if we were to think that he stayed for two days because Lazarus needed to die so that he could do this big miracle, that he could have gone right away. And so there's more to it than that, and we're, we're going to see some of that. We skip down to verse 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. All right, we have two very different sisters here, different personalities. They hear that Jesus is coming, their brother has died, and they have two totally different reactions. Martha, the older sibling here, she's got words. She's like, I, I need to go and I need to see Jesus, whatever it is. And she takes off and she goes and finds Jesus before he even reaches the town. She takes off walking in his direction. Mary stays at home. And we don't really know why, but I, I want to speculate again. I think it's good sometimes for us to get into the emotion of what people are feeling. Like, it can be dangerous to read between the lines of Scripture if we start putting theological things in there. But I think there's moments where we need to make it real for us and we need to put ourselves in their shoes. And for Mary, for whatever reason, she decides to stay home. Remember, this is Mary who loves Jesus, who just wants to sit at his feet and learn. She pours expensive perfume on his feet, washes them with her hair, but in this moment she stays home. Maybe she's upset. Maybe she's feeling like, I don't want to see Jesus right now. He could have done something. He should have done something. And he didn't. Maybe she's feeling like, what's the point? My brother's already died. I'll, I'll see Jesus when he gets here. I'm going to spend time grieving. We don't know. But I think if you've ever been through a time of grieving, you can imagine that there is a swirl of emotions and thoughts that are going on at this time. Martha reaches Jesus and has this little bit of a hot and cold interaction. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Lord, if only you had been here. If only. The amount of times I feel like I've said something similar to this to God, right? Like, God, if only you had done this. If only this had happened. If only you had stopped this from happening. Everything would be different. My life would be different. Things would be so much better. If only, God, if only you thought like I thought. If only you had the wisdom that I had, you would see that this is what you should have done in this situation. Right? Like that's the raw feeling that we have in these moments. But then Martha says something else in the second half. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And maybe she, maybe she believes this. Maybe she just needed to have a little outburst with her true feelings and then wanted to finish with what she felt like she should be saying. I don't know. And her and Jesus have this little exchange where they talk about resurrection. And Martha says, I believe you are the Messiah. 
Jesus kind of asks her, do you believe? Do you believe in me? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? Do you believe that I'm the Messiah? She says, I believe that you're the Messiah. But her actions and her emotions surrounding the current situation says that she isn't really living as if Jesus is the Messiah. If she truly believed that he was the Messiah, her response to these situations would probably be different. Martha goes back to the house and tells Mary that Jesus wants to see her. Mary heads outside of town. Jesus is waiting for her. Verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said again, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing, if only you had been here. This is like our go-to idea when the world isn't going the way that we think it should. God, if only, if only you could do things the way that I think you should. If only you had the wisdom I had, then this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, why don't you make my life better? Why, why aren't you doing things to make my life better? Why aren't I more happy? All right, I want to skip ahead here. Jesus goes with Mary and Martha to the tomb. He asks them to roll the stone away. You see again that people aren't really believing that Jesus can do uh, anything in this moment. They've seen him heal people. They've even seen him or heard about him bringing people back to life. And yet they are talking to him like he hasn't done those things. She's like, don't roll the stone away. It's, it's going to smell bad and all these different things. They protest. They don't want to move it. And they roll the stone away and Jesus prays. All right, And I want us to look at his prayer here. And he, he says this. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So right here, we get the reason behind everything in this story. We get the reason for the miracle. We get the reason for Lazarus being raised to life. Uh, we, we might even get the reason here for Jesus staying two days longer where he was. All right, there was this superstition in the first century surrounding death. And it was more of a pagan superstition. But like most things, I think first century uh, Jews would have adopted some of these ideas at least subconsciously. And, and what it was was this, that when someone died, their soul would stick around their body for up to three days. Three days. And, and potentially go back into the body or, or try and go back into the body and come back to life. That, that was this superstition, pagan superstition. But it's probably something that was in the back of the mind of even some Jewish people sometimes. So maybe when they heard about Jesus healing the girl where he went in and said, no, she's just sleeping. She had just died. And he kind of dismisses people and she comes back to life. Maybe they didn't think it actually happened. So when Jesus waits for two extra days... It puts Lazarus as dead for four days when he arrives. All right, so at this point, there should be no, no hope, no idea that he can come back to life. No superstition that is kind of regarding this and saying, well, yeah, we can explain it away because, you know, this belief says that he could have came back to life. When Jesus did the miracle in this way, it didn't leave any room for what ifs and if onlys. All right, this was the work of the Son of God, someone who had power over life and death. 
All right, so the reason that he does all of this, verse 42, says, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. This is the reason for the miracle. So that people would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. That is why this miracle happened. Not because Lazarus was friends with Jesus. Not because Lazarus was a good guy. Not because Jesus was sad that his friend died and he wanted to bring him back. There was a purpose behind this. And what I want to do with the rest of our time is this. I want to try and give us some perspective when it comes to miracles like this or moments of physical healing. All right? I want us to try and kind of look through this. Now, I know different churches fall in different spots on this. And I'll just tell you where our church lands, where I land, is I believe that physical healing is something that can still happen today. All right? And I think that sometimes we get afraid of the messiness and it's easier to write off some things than to deal with messiness. Like, why did this person get healed and this person didn't? And there's messiness of people who go around and have these big stages and say that they're healing people and wave their coat at them and someone gets up out of a wheelchair and you're like, this is weird. I don't, I, this doesn't feel right. And we have a gut check, right? Like spiritually, you're like, come on here. And yet, I've had moments where I've been part of praying for people. Not some big showy thing. And, and all of a sudden, they're healed. We had a board member at one of my churches. Had pancreatic cancer. Given months to live. We prayed like crazy as a church. Goes in and it's gone. You're like, what is going on with that? And then we pray for Anita and she has cancer. And she dies. And it's messy. But we believe that this is still something for today. But here's the thing. Not everyone is healed. And that's what makes this difficult. Like sometimes we pray for somebody and it doesn't happen. And sometimes it seems like it should. Like if anybody, God, God, if anybody should be healed, it should be this person. It's easy to feel like Mary and Martha. And if there's ever a time for someone to be healed, it's now. Right? Like all the good that they've done, all the time that they've given, all the money. Or maybe you're praying for someone. You're like, all the good that I've done, all the time I've given, all the money I've given, all the time I've served God right now, I'm taking all that and I'm cashing it in on this prayer. Here's all my chips, everything I have, everything I've done. Call us even if you heal this person. And that's just not how it works. It's not how it works. So there's this middle line that, that, that I feel we need to find and we need to walk. We have to find a space between not asking God for anything and feeling like he can't do it and thinking that we can control God and that he owes us. Like there, there's a middle line somewhere in here that we need to find. So why, why isn't everyone healed? Where's the thing? There, there's purpose to miracles. We see that in our passage today. All right, and when we don't understand that there is a purpose behind what God does, we think that it's a lottery system or favorites, and we're just going to pray for everybody, and hopefully one of them gets healed. You know, like, there's a purpose behind, and we do pray for everybody. 
Even what I said there sounds bad. It's, it's not. That what I've seen in Scripture is this, that there are two purposes when Jesus has his ministry where people are getting healed. I see two purposes that come clear in Scripture. The first one is this. When Jesus came, he is announcing that God's kingdom is here. That is what the gospel is. That is what Jesus came to announce. God's kingdom is here. I am the king. I am ruling. I am reigning. This is happening. And what he's saying is, is at some point, we had one kingdom. God made one kingdom. It was broken into two. We have heaven. We have earth. And God is bringing that back together. There's going to be one kingdom. That's what we see in the end. And when Jesus comes, he says, we are starting this process and there are going to be moments right now where heaven breaks through to earth. There are moments where this happens. There are moments where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is when people are healed. This is when the dead are raised. This is when things like this happen. So one of the purposes is it is a taste of the future of what is going to happen. That's one of the purposes of these miracles when we see it in the gospel. God is pointing forward to the not yet, but already. It's here, but it's not fully here. The second purpose is this. It pointed to Jesus being the Son of God, the Messiah. And we saw that in ours today, that that was a purpose of this healing, of this miracle. All right? And here's the thing. That still could happen today, for sure. People get healed. You can have an amazing testimony. You can point to God and say, isn't God amazing? And people can find Jesus because of it. But when it wasn't Jesus himself doing the miracles, it started to get a little messy. All right, think of uh, Paul and Barnabas. It's Acts I want to say 14, and they go into a town and they heal a guy and everyone starts freaking out and they're like, oh man, these guys are gods. And they decided he must be Zeus and he must be, and they, and they picked another one of their gods. And they go to the temple and they start getting all these things. They're like, we are going to sacrifice to them. And also Paul and Barnabas find out about this and they're like, no, what is happening here? We, no, 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 you mix this up so badly. We are not gods. It gets messy. You think of today and people that, that have this idea of, of traveling around and having healing ministries. And I just, I don't always know what to make of that. Sometimes you're like, I, I feel like, you know what, if God can speak through a donkey, God can speak through anybody. He can work through anybody. And there's times too where you're like, this just doesn't feel right. And it gets messy because when people are involved, we have pride. And it is easy to all of a sudden start to feel like this is me. I'm the one doing this. And I think what has happened here, when we look at the gospel and we see Jesus and just miracles happening all the time, and you have the book of Acts, and they keep happening, but it doesn't necessarily seem to be at the same rate. Now, maybe that's because it's not being talked about. Maybe. But I think what has happened there is we still have this idea of heaven breaking through to earth. And that is still happening and still happening today. But I think that this idea of pointing to Jesus as the Messiah seems to maybe have dwindled a little bit in his absence, his physical absence. Because when he was here, it was easy for him to heal someone and someone to say, that's the Son of God. All right, and I'm just... 
I'm trying to make sense of some of this for us. And, and I think in this room, we're going to fall on different places on some of this. All right, but this is what I want us to understand this morning. When we ask the question, why wasn't this person healed? It isn't because you or they weren't good enough. It's not because you're not loved enough. Remember, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and yet he stayed. That's what the scripture tells us. It's not because you aren't loved enough. It's not because you haven't done enough. All right, and, and if we say that, that the presence of a miracle is evidence of the divinity of Jesus, we, we also need to understand that the opposite isn't necessarily true, that the absence of a miracle diminishes his divinity. That's not true. And I think sometimes we fall into that spot. We pray and we have faith and we believe that someone will be healed and it doesn't happen and we don't know what to do with it. And in a moment, we start to feel like, well, is, is Jesus all powerful? Does he see me? Does he know my heart? Does he care? Does he love me? Does he love this person? And I think what we have to land on in a lot of these is his ways are higher than ours. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this for us. I think we have a, a scripture for that. Andrew, if you want to put that up, because I want to read that. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We are not God. We need to pray for specific things. We do. We need to pray. James 4 says, we have not because we ask not. Right? Like, would Jesus have healed Lazarus if Mary and Martha had not asked? That, that's a question. It's like, I don't know. They sent that messenger. They asked. Jesus says, you know, like, we give good gifts to our kids. How much better gifts does your Father in heaven give to you? Jesus says multiple times, ask anything in my name and it will be done. So we pray for specific things. But it doesn't always happen. And that's the line that we need to figure out how to walk. And I think what we do here is we, we seek after Jesus. We seek after his will. And we trust him. And we live as if we actually believe that he is the Messiah. All right, like we take, we take our if only, like Mary and Martha, if only you had done this, if only you had been here, and we exchange our if only for if Jesus. If Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is who he says he is, then I'm going to trust him. Regardless of the outcome of this situation, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray like my life depends on it, like their life depends on it, I'm going to believe, and at the end of the day, I'm going to say, Jesus, you are on the throne, not me, and I want more of you, not just what you can do for me, right? Like it's the idea of presence with an NTS at the end, gifts, presence, versus God's presence, CE. 
What are we after? Are we after what God can do for us or are we after God? So I wanted to land in, in these, these two spots for us. I think the first one is this. I think this morning, some of us in the room, we maybe need to have a healing moment ourselves because of a lack of a healing moment that has happened. Maybe you're here this morning and you have struggled with doubt when it comes to God. You have struggled with, does God love me? Is God real? Because you prayed and you believed and it didn't happen. And maybe you've been carrying some of that baggage. And this morning, I, I, I want us to reach a place where we can say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. Regardless of what happens, you're on the throne and I trust you. And I think the other place a lot of us can land in is this. You might be here today and you might have a hopeless situation just like Lazarus. And you need to be praying because Jesus brings hope to hopeless situations. Jesus brings hope to hopeless situations. It doesn't matter what is going on in your life. He brings hope into that situation. And I don't want us to diminish the work of God and what he does in us by, by boiling everything down just to physical healings. God's work is so much greater than that. Our bodies, they're temporary. We live in a fallen world. Everything's falling apart. Tell you what, man, even, and some of you are going to laugh because I, I know I'm younger than you, but when you hit 30, like things just don't work the same way they once did. I tried playing sports the other day. Oh, man. My body hated me. Like our bodies, they're, they're breaking. That, that's, that's part of this life. That's part of this fallen world. And we can't diminish everything down. We can't focus everything down just to the idea of, of physical healing and that living here in this temporary place is the ultimate goal, end all, be all. And yet, how often do we pray like that is the end all, be all? We need healing. We need physical healing. We need this because we want to stay here longer. Paul says, to die is gain. So I want us just to have this opportunity. Can we, can we stand across this place? And I want us to do this. And we're going to kind of bring the lights down in the room and just kind of let us, each one of us have a moment right now, you and God. And I want, whether, whether you fall into a spot where you feel like I need, I need healing from something in my past that is doubt or anger or frustration or bitterness, I want you to bring that to God. And if you're dealing with a hopeless situation, maybe you feel like your marriage is hopeless that you have a relationship that you're in that is hopeless. That where your kid is at and how far they've ran away from God is hopeless. That your work situation, your job, your finances is hopeless. 
You don't know how you're going to make it from one paycheck to the next. And you need God to intervene. You need God to show up this week. I think for so many of us, we have these areas of our life and we become so comfortable just living in this hopeless spot that we never stop and think, God, I could come to you right now and I could ask and say, God, I want you to show up. I want you to intervene. I want you to be part of this. I want you to bring hope to my hopeless situation. So can we do this across the room? Can we just, can you take your hands and just kind of put them out in front of you? as just a moment of saying, God, here it is. Whatever it is I'm dealing with. Say, God, I'm handing it to you. I need you to intervene. God, I need more of you, less of me. And God, right now, we pray for finances in this room. We pray for relationships. We pray for kids that are far from you. We pray for spouses that are far from you. We pray for parents that are far from you. God, situations that we never would have thought that anything could happen. We feel like we're Mary, we're Martha, we're standing here and our, our brother has died, our situation has died, there's no hope, there's nothing that can be done. Why even bother going to Jesus? God, we go to you right now. Jesus, help us to find this line that we walk, that we believe that you are our healer, you are our provider. We believe that you are the Messiah and our actions line up with that. That we ask you for things as if you are in control of everything like you are. Instead of asking things that actually reflect our doubts that we have. But God, also I pray that in these moments that what we truly are asking for is more of you, more of your will to be done. God, and that whatever the the outcome of this situation is, that it does not change our faith in you. Jesus, we just pray this over every single person in this room. We ask this in your name. Amen.